rejoice that you have come down and you emptied yourself, you humbled yourself as we've studied for the past few weeks and we'll study again today. And you became one of us. And you did that to be obedient in ways that we have never have, never have been, but must be if we're going to have a relationship with you. You have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so we rejoice in that. And we rejoice, Lord, that you enable us, you transform us to imitate you, to become like you, and to live like you. And we thank, we are thankful that the Schmitz have embodied that. And they are a living example to us of how to do that in reaching the loss. And Lord, I can't help but think as he has asked for language learning, I pray that you would give him and Lynn among the many burdens and many uh, responsibilities they have, a supernatural ability to learn this language quickly and accurately. But then, Lord, I also pray that the truths that we're going to study today about community would be lived out there on Mozambique Island, where there is literally nearly zero witness and celebration of what we are here to celebrate today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and we pray for relationship building right here with us, within our community, within our church, and outside of it with the lost. And I pray that anybody that's here, both now and and in the next service, that, Lord, they would see in us the community and the relationships we're going to talk about today from Philippians 2. Encourage each person here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I'm glad you're here. We have guests and we have family in. It's just a good time. Are you expecting good things? Amen. All right. Today is the the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. Fourth Sunday of Advent. We've been lighting the Advent candles. And the first candle is, does anybody know? Is the promise candle. The candle that reminds us that the set, the first coming and second coming has been promised to us. And the second candle... I like to uh, look at as the preparation candle. And the reason I say that is, if you really believe the promises, you're going to be prepared for His coming. Uh, Just like Anna and Simeon were prepared, and a lot of people were unprepared. A lot of people knew the promises, but very few believed them and showed that by being prepared. But you say, well, how do I know if I'm prepared? And uh, this third candle is the proclamation candle. Those that are really prepared for His coming, are willing to proclaim that. Just like the shepherds did. Classic story. They heard the promises, they they prepared themselves, and they did so by proclaiming to others. But today, on the fourth Sunday, I want you to think about the participation candle. And the reason I say that is, ultimately, all the promises, all the preparing, and all the proclaiming is that we participate in the worship of the of the God, God who has become a man. And of course, the classic example and the classic part of the story of that is the wise men. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Why? Because we want to worship him. We want to worship him. And since we won't be together uh, by Christmas, the center candle, uh, we always call the purpose candle, because the whole purpose is Christ. The whole purpose is Christ. And He is what it's all about. And I hope that uh, that you've been reminded of that through our studies. And 
got a video that I want you to uh, check out and just kind of remember that sometimes all of our traditions get uh, kind of sh- push Jesus to the side. So see if this helps you any. One December night, over 2,000 years ago, a shining star illuminated a gathering of kings, shepherds, angels, and animals round a baby in a stable. T'was the nativity, and it marked the end of a journey that began on a donkey's back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up there, James. I beg your pardon? Your nativity. That's not exactly how it happened. Here, look, let's start with that donkey. Neither of the gospel stories mentions Mary traveling by donkey. And given the 60 miles of rough terrain they traveled, it's more likely they used a wagon. (laughs) Minor details. But then the innkeeper informs them there's no room... Again, the Bible doesn't actually mention an innkeeper. And in the Greek, the word inn refers to an upper room and a house, not an actual motel. Oh, blast. Look, wherever it was, there was no room. So, Mary and Joseph were sent to the stable. Uh, No stable. (sighs) Not in the Bible either. Now you're catching on. And in those days, most animals were typically kept in a cave. A cave? Yuppers. So it could have been that instead of a stable, the Bible doesn't really say. And the Star of Bethlehem? Duh, that's biblical. Well, we're actually right for once. It's a Christmas miracle. Okay, so now came the shepherds and the three kings. No kings. Three kings is from the song. The Bible says magi, which means wise men. Three wise men? That works. Well, not so fast. While the Bible does mention three gifts, it doesn't specify the number of wise men that brought them. You mean there could have been more? Oh, yeah. A whole posse, even. With a crowd like that, it's a miracle the baby Jesus never cried. What, no crying he makes? That's just a lyric from Away in a Manger, not actual scripture. (laughs) Well, of course he was crying. You just added a whole crowd of strange men. Eh, Yes and no. There may have been many wise men, but they weren't there that night. You see... Okay, that's enough. Except for the blooming star of Bethlehem, you've just dismantled the most inspiring image of Christian tradition. So what's your point? Point? Well, I guess it's this. Even when all of the man-made traditions are stripped away, the eternal truths still remain. Whether they traveled by donkey or wagon, God brought them safely to the birthplace that was prophesied. Whether born in a stable or cave, God provided shelter in a strange new land. Whether there were three kings, three wise men, or many, God called the elect to bear witness and testimony to the birth of Emmanuel. So whether your manger looks like this, or like this, the one thing that remains unchanged is this. A baby boy, born of a virgin, this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Bless you, sir. I'll never look at the miracle of December 25th the same way again. December 25th? Oh, I almost forgot. Stop that. Music! All right, that's just good. I like that. And uh, again, what it's saying is, 
we've added traditions. It's not saying what the text says is not important. It's saying that our traditions are not true to the text. And the main thing is the baby in the manger. And I hope, I hope as you turn to Philippians 2, I hope our study of Philippians 2 has reinforced what that video says, and that is the main thing is Jesus Christ. We've been unwrapping Christmas from Philippians 2 and seeing that the main thing is the cradle. And when you unwrap and look at the cradle, you find the shadow of the cross over the cradle. And when you look at the cross, you look beyond it to the crown. And ultimately, where we've come to today is the community. We're going to look at the Christ of Christmas in the community. And we're going to look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the cradle, the cross, and the crown, transforms us so that we can become like Him. Now, look at Philippians 2. Uh, we've been really focusing on 5 through 11. That's the, the earliest, really, Christmas song that the church sang to one another, even before the gospel accounts. They were recorded afterwards. But that's like the meat of a sandwich. Think of 5 through 11 like the meat of a sandwich, because a sandwich has two pieces of bread on either side of it. And what we're going to look at is that two pieces of bread that hold the sandwich together. They're found in verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, 1 through 4. Let's read those together. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And then you get to the meat of it, where he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we saw in verses 5 through 11, the cradle, the cross, and the crown. But then you come to the other piece of bread in this sandwich that holds it together, and it's in verses 12 through 18. So let's look at those. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that... You will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, when we look at these, we're reminded that what we've been studying for the last three weeks about the cradle and the cross and the crown is really about a community, a community in Christ and a community that Christ came to create so that, look again at verse 15, so that this community would shine as lights 
in a dark world. So think of that Bethlehem star. Think of that star that guided the wise men. We are to be a community. We are to be a body of believers that shine in the darkness and lead people to the cradle, the cross, and the crown, just like that star did the wise men. So here's the big idea I want you to get today. Philippians 2 wasn't really written to be profound theology about Jesus Christ. It's that, but the purpose of it, of Philippians 2, was written to communities like the Philippian church and like our church so that we would do one thing, and here it is, live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel in in the midst of persecution from outside the community, but even... Walk worthy of the gospel when there are problems with people within the community. Now, I know none of you have problem people in your life. None of you have Christians that you have a hard time getting along with, that you wonder, you know, are they saved? You wonder, if they are saved, will they be far away from me in heaven? You know, we have people like that. In fact, at Christmas, sometimes those people are saved and they're in our families. You know, I've already talked to some of you that were having Thanksgiving with family and extended family and Christmas with extended family, and you're just like, I, I, we're, we're, just pray for us that we'll make it through, okay? Well, that's what we're to do. In, in times like that, we're to live worthy and walk worthy of the gospel, even in spite of those problems. Now, let me show you a little background. You have it in your notes. The Philippians were facing persecution from the unsaved, just like Paul was, who was in prison in Rome. So Paul's writing from Rome, and he's in prison. In the beginning of chapter 1, he says, Look, I, you, you, you've heard about my imprisonment. Don't be discouraged. I'm here because, listen, I'm here because I was advancing the gospel, and even now that I'm in prison, I'm still advancing the gospel. Other believers are hearing about my courage in the face of, of opposition, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to preach Christ like Paul. If Paul can, can face that, I can face that, okay? But he's also saying to the Philippians, look at verse uh, 28 of chapter 1. Look at 128. This comes right before chapter 2. He's saying, look, it's not only me facing persecution, but you guys as a community are facing persecution. Look at verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Look at verse 29, because it applies to them, and it applies to us. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, oh, we like that, we like that, but look at the next part, but also to do what? To suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He's saying, look, don't be surprised. Every Christian suffers. True believers will suffer. Why? Because they believe the promises and they're prepared and they're proclaiming and they're participating in worshiping Christ as the Lord. And when you do that in a world of darkness, you're going to get opposition. Listen, wake up. If you have no opposition in your life, it's because you're not proclaiming. It's because you're not participating. It's because you're not really believing the promises and living them out. And so Paul's saying, look, you guys have pressure as a community. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced when there's pressure from without, 
it causes tension in my relationships. Have you noticed that? That when you're under pressure, then it starts putting pressure on your relationship. And that's what happened to the Philippians. They were not all, not only facing persecution from those outside, but look at the next uh, observation there in your notes. The Philippians were pl- facing problems with one another with saved people, just like Paul was in prison. If you go back to chapter 1, it's bad enough that you're persecuted for being a Christian. What's worse is when you are thrown into prison and people start, other believers start preaching Christ to put more, cause you more problems. And that's exactly what he said was going on. Out of selfish ambition, out of, you know, who knows, maybe they wanted Paul to be executed so they could be the top dog in the church. Now just think, that's pretty ugly, isn't it? That's just pretty, that's just how ugly we can be even as Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison, because I've been advancing the gospel, and while I'm in prison, I'm still advancing the gospel, preaching to my guards, and then there's some selfish, egotistical Christians out there in Rome that tried to make life harder on me. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty, I would be pretty angry, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I would feel justified to say, like, I don't know, call down fire on them or something. But you know what Paul says? He says in chapter 1, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they do it out of selfish ambition. It doesn't matter whether they cause me greater problem. Only thing that matters is they're preaching Christ, whether out of pure motives or wrong motives. Whoa, that was pretty radical. In fact, he says, I just count this whole situation joy. And I want you to rejoice in it too. Because the bottom line, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But here's the reality. Look at chapter 2, 1 through 4. The Philippians were having the same kind of selfish ambition, the same kind of personality (coughs) conflicts, the same kind of relational problems that Paul was having. And hey, news alert, our church has the same problem. Now you're saying, now who's he talking about? I'm not talking about anyone. In fact, some commentators believe that the problems weren't that bad in Philippi, but they had the potential to be that bad. Now, we know there was interpersonal conflict there, because later in in, uh, chapter 4, he tells two women to stop uh, being crossways with each other and start working together. So there was interpersonal conflict. They had problems within the community. And I don't know of any specific problems that we are dealing with, per se, in our body, but any cl- this class being this large, our church, I know they're, they're going on. And I don't always know about them. Pastor Bruce doesn't always know about them. I don't know. But the reality is this, even when Christians get together, we can step on each other's toes, right? So, what do we do? Let me repeat the big idea. Paul says, here's what you do. Live worthy of the gospel in the midst of pressures from without. And listen, we're only going to get greater opposition as a church and as people in this nation. There's going to be greater persecution. If we continue to advance the gospel, if we stay true to preaching the gospel, we will be facing greater persecution. And what we must do, according to this passage, is walk worthy of the gospel in spite of it. 
And when that pressure comes, it's going to create pressure within our body. Different people will be saying, well, we ought to be doing this, or we ought to be doing that, or, or it's because of, uh, of, of them and what they're saying that we're having this problem. What do we do when that happens? We have to live worthy of the gospel. The Philippians are to be united not only against a common foe, the world, the flesh, the devil, but also in heart and mind with one another. So, we face these same things. How does Philippians 2 help us? Well, I want to give you that. I want to show you that in this chapter, there's basically three commands. That if you and I will follow these three commands when we're under pressure, when we have problems with other believers, we will walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let let me give you three commands from this passage. When we unwrap the spirit of Christmas, we're going to find community. And if we're going to walk together as a community, we need to do these three things. Number one, share with one another what Jesus has already shared with us. Share with one another. So what do I do when I'm, I'm in conflict? What do I do when I'm under pressure? I walk worthy as a community when we share with one another what Jesus has shared with us. Now, we've already read verse, verses 1 through 4. Uh, the Spirit inspired Paul to write one long sentence. That is one complete sentence, as he originally wrote it, and it has only one simple command, and it's there in verse 2. Make my joy complete. Complete my joy. Now, how would the Philippians complete Paul's joy while in prison? Well, he already told him he had joy because he was advancing the gospel, and in spite of persecution, in spite of problems, he the gospel was advancing and he had joy. The only thing that would add more joy to his joy was to know that the Philippians were doing the same thing. Now, let me say this. Whenever I study the Bible and I see an apostle saying something to a church, I always replace Jesus with that apostle. Because Why? Because the apostles were representatives of Jesus Christ. So here's how you make that applicable to you and I. If you want to bring joy to our Savior, if we want to bring joy to Him this Christmas, then we need to do, we need to share with one another what He has shared with us, and it will bring Him joy. It will bring Him joy. Now, how do you do this? How do you bring joy to Jesus? As a community, even when there's problems? Well, number one, you stay focused on the same gospel purpose. You stay focused on the same gospel purpose of denying self to serve others. Paul says, hey, complete my joy, and here's how you will do it. Look at verse 2, 2 and 3. He says, here's how you're going to complete my joy. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying, stay focused on the gospel purpose of walking worthy of the gospel. Strive with that. Now, what's that single purpose? What's that, what's that, that, that one purpose we're just supposed to stay focused on? It's in verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. Deny self to serve others. That's what you stay focused on. When there's problems, get your eyes off the problems. Get your eyes off the problem people 
and focus on the one gospel purpose that we're here as a body to deny ourselves and to serve others. You know, that's a guaranteed recipe for improving your problem relationship. Right? Because when there are problems, what do we focus on? The problems. And then pretty soon we think we have a better solution to that problem than their solution to their problem. And we think our solution is hindered by them. If they would just, and it just gets all this horizontal mechs and we're, we're selfish ambition, empty conceit, all that. And what he's saying is this, look, when there's pressure and when there's problems, you got to come back to that same gospel purpose. And the purpose is this. Deny self. Do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important. And then you deny self to serve others. Verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So stay focused on one gospel purpose. Denying self to serve others. So let me ask you this morning. Have you forgotten the one purpose for which uh, the one purpose for which we exist as a community? Have you forgotten the one purpose? Have we forgotten as a class why we gather? We gather to walk worthy of the gospel, to advance the gospel around the corner and around the world by denying ourselves to serve others. Listen, it's easy to let external problems and or external pressure and internal people to get our eyes off of one spirit, one purpose, and having the same mindset. Now, right now, you may be filled with anxiety over how big your problems are or how difficult the people are in your life or how big the obstacles are in front of our church. Right now, as we enter 2015... You might be saying, I can't do it. I can't do this. You don't know how big my problems are. You don't know how difficult these people are. You don't understand just how big an obstacle our church is facing. We can't do it. I can't do it. And I would say to you, you're right. We can't do it. You can't do it if you're relying on your own resources. And that's why Paul wrote verse 1. So let's take a look at it. Share with one another the same gospel resources that Jesus has shared with us. Riches, resources, I don't care what you say. The point is, share with one another the same gospel resources that Jesus has shared with us. So in verse 2, he says, make my joy complete. In verses 3 and 4, he says, here's how you do it. But in verse 1, he started with, Here's why you can do it. Share with one another what Jesus has already shared with you. Now, this is an interesting way he writes it. In verse 1, every one of, there's four uh, resources that we have, and each phrase is, begins with, if there is. I'm not trying to give you a lesson in Greek grammar, but I must, because we can't share it with English. What he's saying, the way it's written... He's saying it in this way, and I've tried to show it in your notes. If there is any, and you know by experience there is much encouragement from being in Christ. If there is any, 
and you know by experience there's much encouragement from being in Christ is the first one. The second one is this. If there is any, and you know by experience there is much comfort from His unconditional love. So there's encouragement in Christ, there's comfort from His unconditional love, and then the third one is, if there is any, and you know by experience there is much community by His indwelling Spirit. Community by by His indwelling Spirit. And the fourth one is this, if there is any, and you know by experience there are many acts of tender mercies from God's compassionate heart through the person of Christ. You see what he's saying is, if there's any, and I know you're going to say, of course there is. We've experienced encouragement in Christ. We have experienced the, the comfort of His unconditional love. We know that we are all here. Look around this room. The only thing that unites this room is the Holy Spirit. I mean, look around. I mean, I'm just looking at Dana. I mean, look around. I mean, there is... I mean, look, I mean, even look at your spouse. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, most of us wouldn't still be married. It is the community is focused on the one Holy Spirit. And then look around and remember that we have all had tender acts of mercy given to us by Jesus, uh, by God the Father through the person of Christ. Now what he's saying is, if there is any of these four things, and you know by experience, if you're born again this morning, you know by experience that you've received these things, then complete my joy by sharing the same gospel riches, resources with one another so that you'll stay focused on the same gospel purpose of denying self to serve others. Now, I just gave you $1,000 worth of counseling right there. I'm telling you that if you and I, when we are under pressure from unsaved people at work or wherever at school, if we in our community, in this class, in this church, would simply understand and get our, our eyes off the problem people and onto our resources in Christ, knowing that Christ, that in Christ, together we are in Christ. And in Christ, we are all secure in His unconditional love. So it's okay if you don't like me. It's okay if you reject me because in Christ, I'm secure. And I can still reach out to you. I can share His unconditional... Guess what? You rejected me, and that means you don't deserve my love. But because I have His unconditional love, I can love you now unconditionally. Are you getting the idea? Oh, so you've done me wrong or you're hurting me. Well, guess what? God has shown me tender mercies that I didn't deserve through Jesus Christ. Now I can show you tender acts of kindness through Jesus Christ. And I can do to you what Christ has done to me. And all He's done to me is love me unconditionally, show me mercy, and bring me into His family through the indwelling Holy Spirit. I have so much, I'm just going to share it with you. Is that good? Does that make sense? Man, that's just good stuff. So in other words, just as, Paul's saying this, 
Just as I'm rejoicing in my own pressure and problems, complete my joy by doing the same in your pressure and problems. And here's how you do it. Not by trying harder to be gooder, but by sharing with one another what Jesus has already shared with you. So Paul reminds them and us of four concrete spiritual realities that are ours in Christ Jesus. And instead of focusing on the pressure coming from the outside, see, some of us are focusing so much, and, and, and as, a, as a Christian community, we get all off when we start focusing on, on the Christmas wars and all that kind of stuff, and, and getting all hung up on how people greet us. The bigger issue is what do we have in Jesus, and how are we sharing that with people? Does that make sense? I mean, does that, does that ring true with you? Focus instead on what you already have received as a community and then share it with one another just as he shared it with you. So let me say it this way. These are like four gifts that you've already been given. These are like four gifts. This encouragement in Christ, this, this, this uh, comforting love, this community of the Spirit, these compassionate acts of tender mercy. These are all like four gifts from the Christ of Christmas that have already been given to every believer that is here today. And you've already unwrapped those gifts and you're playing with those gifts. You're enjoying those gifts. And then someone else in our church says, I need a little bit of that gift. I want to play with that gift. You ever had this happen on Christmas morning? No, that's mine. You can't play with that. You can't get any of that. God gave me all the unconditional love. You don't get any of that. I won't share it with you. Listen, we need to re-gift this Christmas. We need to re-gift these four things, these four gospel realities. Amen? If He's given it to us, He gave it to us to share with others. Wow, that's just good stuff. That's a good job, Chris. Keep going. Okay, I will. Maybe you're still not sure you can do it in your current situation. So let's look at the second command. Not only are we to share with others what Jesus has shared with us to walk worthy of the gospel as a community, but we need to show to one another what Jesus has shown to us. And that comes in 5 through 11. So see, he says, look, verses 1 through 4, share what you have been given. Share it with one another. And then secondly, he says, now, if you need more help in this, Show to others what Jesus has shown to you, 5 through 11. Now, we're not going to go through this in detail because that's what the last three weeks have been about. But let me summarize it in this way. Here's what we are to show to one another because Jesus has shown it to us. Number one, empty yourself to meet the needs of others. Empty yourself of self. Empty yourself of self. Let it go. Let it go. No, no, no. Don't want to let it go? No, no. Don't let it go in the frozen sense of do your own. Listen, the message of that song is do your own thing regardless of what it does to others. This is not a Christian song. This is not a, a this is this is not how to live your life. Live your life this way, and your only hope is that you'll have a sister that doesn't live that way and will sacrifice herself to help you. Now, if you don't know what Frozen's about, then none of that made sense. But if you don't know what Frozen's about, then you probably haven't figured out anything. Okay? So don't, you know, anything that's going on in our culture. So let it go. Let it go. 
No, let it go in the Jesus sense. See, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm just going to go out and be me. If he would have went out, if he would have lived by that song, he never, there would never have been Christmas. If he had lived the frozen song, there would never have been Christmas. He would have stayed in heaven and done his thing for his glory and for his good. But instead, he let it go in the Jesus sense and he let go of self, his position, his privileges, his preferences, all that he deserved and enjoyed, and he let it all go to come down and become a baby born in a cave and to be treated as less than he was. And when he was treated as less than he was, what did he do? Number two, he humbled himself. So humble yourself. Show to others what Jesus did. Humble yourself to obey God to the point of even suffering shame and sacrificing your own life to serve others like Jesus did for you. And I'm telling you, as I'm looking at the future, I'm like, wow, you know, it's been easy to preach that kind of stuff. But it may be time to actually have to live that kind of stuff. Because they're going to come for the pastors first. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. But I know many pastors, many churches, many believers around this world entered into eternity in 2014 because they lived obediently even to the point of suffering shame and beheading and sacrifice. Stop playing it safe and start obeying God with the kind of all-out obedience that may cost you something and it may cost you everything. But listen, it glorifies God like Jesus did. Number four, you say, that sounds pretty gloomy. Why would I want to do that? Number three, I'm sorry, I said number four. Number three, wait for God. Wait for God to one day graciously exalt you and reward you with great joy in his glorious presence, just like he did with Jesus. That's the message of 2 through 11. I, 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 my application for you on this and your obedience, how low will you go with Jesus? How low will you go with Jesus to meet the needs of others? And how high will God ultimately lift you up by His grace when you come and see Him on the day of Christ? So here's the third thing. Why do we share with others and why do we show? It's so that we shine with one another before others like Jesus did. It's so that we shine before others like Jesus did. This is verses 12 through 18. Verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed. Remember, we just talked about Jesus' obedience. He's saying, look, you see where Jesus, see how Jesus obeyed and see the, the outcome of that? Well, so then, my beloved, beloved meaning you're chosen by God, you're elect of God, you're loved of God unconditionally with all that He has shared with you, with all that He has done for you, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me say just very quickly the presence, absence stuff. Because it's an apostle, I plug in Jesus Christ there and He's telling us, look, now that I'm absent from you, you obey now, not later when I come back. Now's the time to obey me in my absence much more with fear and trembling. For is God at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how do we shine? Well, by sharing and showing 
But in this path, right here, what's that mean? Work out what God has already worked in us by the gospel. Work out what God has already worked in us by the gospel. That's verses 12 and 13. Basically, sharing with others and showing to others what Jesus has done is working out your salvation. Working out what God has worked in. So here's the question. What is God work, working in us? Our salvation. You can write that down. What is God working in us? He's working in us our, our salvation. He's working in us the cradle, the cross, and the crown. That's what he's working. Basically, listen, what we've been studying through these weeks is, is, in, is an overview of the gospel. That is salvation, the cradle, cross, and crown. That's what he's working in us. All right, our salvation. How do I know that? Turn to Philippians 1.6. Turn in your Bibles. Click on your doodad. And look at Philippians 1.6. This is not talking about working your salvation by being good or doing better or imitating Christ. You don't earn your salvation. You're working out what God has already put in. Look at Philippians 1.6. Paul says this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work, the work of salvation was begun by God, and it will be completed by God. Notice what it says. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what is God working in us? Salvation. What are we to work out? Here's the answer. The salvation that God has already worked in. We're to work out what God has already worked in. Make sense? We are to work out what God has already worked in. And that's why it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have you ever wondered, what, what am I to be scared of? Why am I to be trembling? The answer is, Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. And if God is working in us, that means God is in us, He's with us, and He's for us. Listen, the reason we're trembling is, if God's truly saved me, then God's in me. And God is working a work in me that if that, that ought to just make me freak out. This holy God... Is in me. That means everything I do, I bring this holy God into. Everything I look at, He sees. Everything I handle, He handles. Every place I walk into, I bring Him with me. That should cause us fear and trembling. God, Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, but also God in us. We should work out what God is in in us doing. Now, how do we do that? How do we work out what God has already worked in? Okay, you ready for something really profound? Okay, are you ready? This is really deep. By being obedient. By being obedient. Oh, I, I, I was hoping he'd do something. I, I, I hope it would be about him. No, he's already done everything. And it's now about you. It's about obeying. Some people get so enamored with the gospel and so enamored with grace that they take any human effort out of the process and that goes directly against this verse. He says, you got to work it out. 
what God has already worked in. And God has already promised it will be successful. There's no reason not to do it. And besides, you ought to be fearful and trembling if you don't do it because God's inside you, supposedly, so you profess. By being obedient to gospel commands, by being obedient to the Lordship of Christ. How did verses 10 through 11 end? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that the Lord is Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to confess that and not be obedient? You've got to be kidding me, is what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to be more obedient. Because one day, you're going to come and stand before him and be glad that you did. In other, in other words, how do we work out? Share with others what he's already shared with you. Show to others what He's already shown to you in the gospel. So we work it out, what God has worked in. But here's another way we shine. And that's in verses 14 through 16. Work together for the furtherance of the gospel. Work together for the furtherance of the gospel. A part of working out your individual salvation is working together with others in this church to advance the gospel. How'd that go in 2014? How'd that go with you? Were you on the sidelines watching the game take place on the field? Were you AWOL, absent without leave from the Lord who drafted you into service and called you into service in a community to work together? Were you MIA, missing in action? Did you take step back, steps back in working together to advance the gospel in our church? Or did you take some steps forward? Some of you have taken steps forward in 2014. Can we give them a hand? Okay, now that you know what I want you to do, let's give them a hand. Yeah, there's some people here have taken steps forward, right? Are you seeing some greeters? Greeting? Yeah. That's, what, that's how you work out your salvation. You work together for the furtherance of the gospel. How do you do it? Look at verse 14. Oh, let's skip 14. Because here's how, here's how you shine. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do, do we want to ask the question again, how did we do in 2014? How do we do on serving? See, some of us are active servers but we're, act, we're active murmurers while we're serving. And when we do, we don't shine. Because you know what? There's people at work that work all the time and murmur, right? And if you're with them, then you're no different than they are, and they don't see Jesus in you. And when we're serving here with one another, if we're grumbling against one another and murmuring about one another, then we're not shining and our service is really not meaning what it's intended to mean. Make sense? I know this is personal, but it's just it's what the text says. I have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing by serving together with humility. That's number one. Serving together in humility. Humble yourself and don't murmur, don't grumble, don't be like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Number two, we work together for the furtherance of the gospel by standing together in the face of hostility. Standing together in the face of hostility. 
Look at verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights. Listen, when the world comes against us, we need to be above reproach, not grumble, not murmur. Listen, you you ought to go back, look at your Facebook statuses, and remove every one that sounds like murmuring and grumbling. You just take it off. Take it off, and then you commit for 2015. I'm not murmuring on Facebook. I'm not whining. That is not shining the light. And I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm just saying it's just, it's just, it, it, but you can't, you can't be on it and not see it, right? Take it all off. Shine like lights, you know, and, and, and put on there what you're praising God for. What an amazing tool. And by the way, if you haven't liked our Facebook page, get on there and like our Facebook page and share some of what's on there. I promise we won't put grumbling or murmuring on there. So you can share it. Uh, number three, by shining together in unity. That's the whole point. By shining together in unity in verses 16 through 18. And how do we do that? Let me just end with this. Notice what it says in verses 16. Here's the key to the whole bit. This ties together 128, or I'm sorry, 127, where he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, 127. In fact, let's just read that. I don't think I ever did read that. I'm sorry. Here's what he says to him at the beginning of Philippians 2. This is what Philippians... Really, you know, your chapter divisions aren't that accurate. You know, they're they're not inspired. And so really, Philippians 2 begins in 127. Notice what it says. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the big idea of the passage. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent... And so again, because he's an apostle, I think in terms of Jesus, whether I come today or I delay even longer, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then he goes over to go to chapter 2, verse 16. He ties it together. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Take that phrase, holding fast the word of life. There's two ways of understanding that. One is holding fast to the life-giving gospel as a community. This is our hope. This is our message. We're going to share with others what it is shared with us, and we're going to show to others the message that it preaches. We're going to hold fast to that. But there's another way of understanding that, that phrase, and it's this. Hold forth the life-giving gospel to the world. So we hold fast to it so that we can also hold it out so others hear it and others see it. But listen to me. You can share Jesus all day long, but if there's murmuring and grumbling and disunity in your family, in your workplace, in your in our church, then our witness means nothing. We've got to share with others what Christ has shared with us. Share with one another. Show to one another. And then as a community, we're a light drawing people to Christ. Wow. And then you can be like Jesus. You can be like Paul. Look at Paul in verses 17 and 18. Paul did this. He said, look, 
If I get beheaded, which he eventually was, if I get beheaded, man, I'm just, I'm thrilled because it was done for the glory of God and it was done to advance the gospel there in Philippi. And then he goes to Timothy and he says, look, I don't have anybody that's more like Jesus than Timothy who doesn't look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And then he says, your own Epaphroditus. I don't know, this guy almost died fulfilling your ministry to me in Rome. He almost died for the gospel. I'm sending him back to you because I know it would crush you if he died. So I'll send him back to you. But I'm I'm telling you, exalt such a one because one day he'll be exalted. Timothy will be exalted. Paul will be exalted. And here's the good news. You and I can be exalted. In those little ministry moments that you do faithfully at our church, do them without murmuring and grumbling, and you too will be in that hall of fame. And you will have joy in His presence where He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that good? That's the community. And the the cradle, the cross, and the crown made it all possible. So I have there... In your notes, your life can show forth a spirit of sharing. What gospel? So here's three questions for application for you to do this week. These are your questions for application this week. It's, it means nothing if you come week after week to just take notes. It, it means nothing if you just come back and keep ta- listening to lessons. You've got to and I've got to walk worthy, and work out the gospel. So there's three questions from today's lesson for us to think on during the Christmas holiday. Amen? And if we do it, we're going to shine. We're already shining, but we can shine brighter. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. What a powerful passage. I learned. I was humbled. I was convicted, Lord. Because how can I look at you and not come away humble? How can I look at what you have done for me and not be convicted? And I rejoice that that I can share this with my wife, my daughter, my church family, this class, with the lost. Lord, I want to shine in 2015. And I pray for each person here that we will share, we will show, and we will shine. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a very Merry Christmas.